to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, Jody. Welcome back to Q4, our health quarter. Oh, I just love talking about dermatology and aesthetics. It makes me so happy. Yeah, we have gotten to meet so many amazing dermatologists and thought leaders in this space. Our episode today talks with Dr. Jennifer Linder, a board-certified dermatologist, Mohs skin cancer surgeon, and founder of Linder Health that I'm really excited to learn more about. Yeah, we talked with Dr. Linder about her career journey, like why dermatology? I always love this question when we're talking to physicians because there's just so many specialties to choose from. And it seems like every derm has a really fascinating story of how they they found their way to dermatology. And we talk a lot about education. And as you know, we've worked so much in this space. It's our happy place. Oh my gosh, so much great work in this space. I'm just thinking of the brands over the years, Face Reality, Elta MD Skincare, Elastin, Epions, just just a few of them come to mind, but we have had so many amazing opportunities to really insert that expert voice that people are really craving to hear from into the conversation about skin health. Yeah, for our listeners who love dermatology and aesthetics, they're really going to love this episode with Dr. Linder. She's a real innovator. She's created a lot of success for herself with other endeavors. She was the owner of PCA Skin before it was acquired by Colgate, and I'm excited to see how she grows Linder Health. Great. Let's jump into episode 243 with Dr. Jennifer Linder. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. We are a career journey podcast talking about what it's like to define success and reach for it in the beauty and wellness industries. Today, we continue our health innovations theme with Dr. Jennifer Linder, a board certified dermatologist, Mohs skin cancer surgeon, and a bioengineer. She has over 20 years experience in applied dermatology and aesthetics practices, research and development, and clinical trials. Dr. Linder has been featured in O Magazine and Vogue, just to name a few. She's also started her own skincare line, Linder Health. I'm excited to dive into the conversation about her career journey from aerospace to the cream on your face, all on episode 243. Hi, Dr. Linder. Welcome to our Brains Me Beauty. Oh, I love that. Hi, so excited to be here. This is such a great segue into our first question. You know, we're a career journey show. So um, I wanted to be an archaeologist when I was a little kid. What did you want to be? So I wanted to be an aerospace engineer or an astronaut. My dad was in the Air Force, and I spent elementary school where I could actually see the space shuttle take off whenever it happened. It was always this big deal. And I was just absolutely enthralled in the idea that science could sort of make anything happen, just like spark this curiosity that was, I think, explosive and led to a lifelong love of learning. Oh my God, explosive pun intended. You know, I'm reading a book now. I just got it from the library. It's called, I think it's called The Six, and it's about the first six U.S. female astronauts. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to read that. I, that's on my list as well, and for obvious reasons. And uh, Sally Ride was somebody who I was always particularly yeah, I bet. Um, I would love to watch a launch. I've tried to engineer some family vacations timed with it, but you know, these launches, they get scrubbed and then move to, you know, like far off dates. So I haven't been able to make it happen, but it is something that is on my list. It will happen one day. You just put it out there, right? Yeah. Let's talk about this, this journey, right? So you love, um, the idea of aerospace engineering, that means math, that means science. Were you going to pursue this? Like, were you going to go to college to be an astronaut? I was definitely going to go to college to be an engineer. Unfortunately, the Challenger did um, 
in a very, you know, obviously super upsetting way, um, the space program was put on a pause when I was 12 and my family just shortly moved to Hawaii and it was really upsetting for me. And everybody else in my community didn't have the same kind of bond to it. And so it kind of made it aware that like life changes. And I think part of being a military kid is really learning to be flexible. And so I was like, well, I love science. Let me, you know, explore all these different things. And, and nature was a big piece. We used to hike a ton in Hawaii. It's always been a big part of my life. And so I knew I wanted to just keep pursuing anything kind of in the STEM space. And it was, it came down to kind of medicine, engineering, and ended up going to college for engineering. And so that's actually what I graduated with and did not decide in medicine until my junior year. Okay. Um, what kind of engineer were you majoring so in? So I started in chemical engineering and with the idea of going into environmental sciences and environmental engineering. And I ended up landing long-term in bioengineering, which gave me like the ability to do all the things that I really loved, which was biology, physics, math, kind of all that juicy stuff that kind of explained the world and problem solving. And I did realize I wanted more of an intense experience with people. And I think that's the reason why the medical part kind of really bubbled up. And I realized like that might actually give me that interaction, that kind of empathy, being able to solve directly with somebody that I was um, missing when I was just doing traditional engineering. So what happened junior year to put you on this path? So I, a couple of different things. One, I took a physiology class that really explains how each of the organ systems work. And along with that was a phenomenal lab. And I had the opportunity. I'm not even sure why I signed up for it. I think it was because there was this movie called Gross Anatomy when I was young. That was a gross anatomy class. And we actually got to work with cadavers. And then you're you're actually going through the process and finding all the nerves and everything. And it's like wow, this is the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. Like the human body is, it's more magic than, than I think anything we can think about or read about. The more you learn, the, the more exciting it actually gets. And I think that's continued on now to like the cellular level of genetics. But genetics barely existed um, when I went through med school in terms of as a discipline. It's just, it keeps getting more interesting as time goes by. So popular culture influenced you taking this one class, which influenced like the rest of your career. This is wild. It's wild. It's like, oh my, it's just amazing how that all, that all works. And I think the other thing is I had a friend of mine who was a year older than me that actually met in that physiology class. And she was also a bioengineer and a painter, which is the same thing as me. And it was like, oh my gosh, I met somebody who's also in a sorority, who is social and loves to interact and does bioengineering and paints. And it was like, I think finding somebody who was like my person in mm. that moment was quite inspiring. And she was a year older than me and we started studying together. And it was like, oh yeah, this like, once I started studying for the MCAT, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is it. So uh, you start medical school, but you don't decide on a specialty right away, right? So how did you pick dermatology? So it was the, it was the same friend who was a year older than me that recommended I actually do a dermatology elective when I did it, it was like one of those things when you say things really do just, it was like an epiphany moment. It's like I can actually see what I need to work on or fix or patterns. And I, I love pattern recognition. I think that's also an engineering thing where you're looking at different things and connected together. And that's really what derm is. And so it's like, rather than listening to a heartbeat or looking at imaging, uh, it was a way to really, in an empathetic way, connect with people, but seeing what you're actually working on. And I was like, 
it just absolutely was like, okay, this is it without, with absolute clarity. And I never been to a dermatologist as a kid. I was really lucky, but I was just so excited to find my, my, my place. So I did not go to medical school. What happens in a dermatology elective? Like what are in that first dermatology class? What are you exposed to like specifically like that? I would understand. Well, one of the things you do is you spend time in clinics. So you're actually shadowing the residents that are um, everywhere from second year resident through the fellows and you're seeing patients. And, and then the other thing you're doing is you spend, because dermatology is so visual, you spend actually a lot of time looking at photographs, slides, a big part of dermatology is actually under the microscope. And our textbooks are that way. We had been exposed a little bit in the book component, which is the first two years of med school. But it was that ability to kind of come in. And I think because people are so vulnerable with derm issues, when you come in and you're taking the different pattern recognition and you're actually like, oh, it's this and this is how I can help you. The sense of relief that comes over people is humongous. And I think it was that piece. I was like, oh gosh, I can really in this moment help something. And sometimes these things are, you know, from a doctor perspective might seem small, but to the patient, it's humongous. Like people, you know, this, like sometimes don't leave their home when they have terrible skin. And it's like, you can actually completely change somebody's outlook, the way they feel about themselves. I think that's what was uh, magical. And then I really love surgery and derm is very unique. And then it's one of the few fields that really combines surgery as well as internal medicine. And so that part of most surgery, which is where we do take skin cancers off and do reconstruction came up and I could do that. And it's like, then it was just sort of perfect. This idea of pattern recognition is really interesting to me because my son is a teenage wrestler, so we go to the dermatologist mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, oh, I can understand that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, now that I'm thinking back to like the types of questions the um, derm asks at every visit, like right, they're they're building they're building a story in their mind, right? Like one thing ladders up to another, ladders up to another. Mm-hmm. So now I'm you know starting to see what you're talking about. It never occurred to me to think of it that way before, but that's really fascinating. So it really is everything from obviously what they've, the history, what they've been exposed to, to tiny details of the sensation. And often with things like how it presents, whether it presents on your knuckles or this part or this part of your finger, and in what order can make a huge difference in the actual diagnosis. And, um, and so that's really what it is. It's almost being like a little investigator. Mm-hmm. So if you like investigation kind of shows, dermatology is, is really that kind of field. And I really am a big believer in trusting somebody's intuition. Like if a patient comes to me and is really concerned about a spot, I usually almost always biopsy it because I think people have a gut feeling. And sometimes I feel like our job is to relieve the anxiety mm-hmm. as much as it is to solve the individual problem. And sometimes that's through, you figure out with each individual patient what it is that does that. I love that. Um, yeah. Anytime I have like a suspicious, I think a suspicious mole, even when the doctor says you're fine, I'm like, let's just test it. Right. Because I want to just know, I don't want to think about mm-hmm. it ever again. Right. I want to be done with it. Yep. I totally understand that. And there's ways that we can work through that. I think listening is the most important skill for a doctor or basically in life, right? Listening is the most important thing. So, um, the, Pursuit of dermatology does seem sound fascinating, but you'd never seen a dermatologist as a kid, right? So this is like really brand new for you, right? You, I'm sure, saw other kinds of doctors, eye doctor, yeah. right? Yeah. 
So uh, what was your first time when dermatology became more personal for you? Well, um, I did a fellowship in skin cancer surgery as well as laser, and I developed melasma during that time frame. Um, I'd grown up in Florida and Hawaii, and then the stress, melasma showed up, and of course, I lasered it because I was doing a laser fellowship, and the first time it got better, and the second time it got much worse. And um, as a result, I got sort of hyper interested in pigmentation and how to take care of it. And during my first year out of fellowship, I was getting more and more frustrated, and that's actually when I discovered chemical peeling agents, like that often doing them superficially over time can lift them. And that was the thing was like, oh my gosh, you know, really sort of that those big empathy moments and, and realizing I think makes us all better, better physicians. So you're learning about lasers and then you laser, then you laser yourself mm-hmm. and it worked, but then you laser yourself again and it went not good. Right. So this is what we actually talk about lasers. Because lasers have so much heat in them, they actually can make melasma worse. And so you have to be very, very cautious with melasma. Like you'll find most people um, will only do it after people have failed lots of different things or are truly laser experts. So I actually advise everybody that has melasma specifically avoid lasers. And just because it gets better once doesn't mean that the third, fourth, fifth time, it's not going to get significantly worse. It's like do with caution. And that's actually why I started exploring a whole different thought process, which I hadn't really gotten into before, which was cosmeceuticals and skincare and and chemical peels. And it sort of opened up this whole other new opening for me to kind of explore and learn about. Okay, this is thank you for segueing because this is actually a really perfect segue. Um, when does a term dermatologist in training or in practice start to learn about all the the goops and the ingredients and all the stuff, like all the topical stuff? So we deeply learn about obviously the prescription things. So anything that's got a like that has to be prescribed. And now I think the younger the generations now really do learn about skincare versus my generation. It was sunscreen was the end of it. Like Kathy Fields and and Katie Redan were both friends, um, and they talked about how the professors were actually couldn't even believe they were considering making this this skincare product. And we've learned that like skincare is as important as the prescriptions as well. Like I know one of the sort of absolute experts in acne will talk about getting somebody on good skincare because often they've destroyed the barrier by doing the wrong skincare products and you need to get the barrier healthy first and then start doing the prescription things. So you learn about it now from day one and like all the different ointments versus creams and all these different things and how they work together. And that's fundamentally what a dermatologist is, is, is learning how to get the best way to distribute an active ingredient into the skin. But they also need to know what does not work well together, right? Almost like a pharmacist, right? They have to know yes. about all the, we call that contra, is that, what's it called? Contra indications, right. yep. Very good. So um, were you learning that in training? Yes, absolutely. So that's sort of the, the fundamentals of it. I mean, there's a lot of dermatologists. There's not a lot of dermatologists who decide to develop their own products, right? And their own formulas. So why... Why did you do that? <laughs> like, what drew you to it? So, like, I had seen peels work, and it made it caused me. I was on vacation and went and visited a company that was called Physicians Choice of Arizona that made some peels and some skincare. And I talked to the R and D person because I had this idea for a sunscreen that I wanted to do. And she and I just started clicking, and over time, developed more and more relationship with that company. And in the end, my partner of twenty eight years. 
um, who's a Harvard of Maine, I decided to actually purchase that little nugget of a company. And then we turned that into what is now known as PCA Skin. And so the whole process of that just sort of gave me a whole new laboratory to work with. And I had a minor in chemistry. I love this stuff. And realized that by making better skincare, better chemical peels, we could actually really, truly affect a lot of people's lives and make, make the whole process better. And so it just sort of, it was a curiosity that sort of exploded over time. And that was in 2005-ish. So you're a practicing dermatologist and then you become a um, business owner. Are you still practicing dermatology at that time? Yes. So I actually built a practice and including a Mohs surgical suite next door to the corporate office. So like even the first tiny little nugget of a company, I'm talking, we had the old school screens that, you know, were this deep. And then, you know, of course kept growing and expanding. And I always kept my practice next to the office so that I could see patients run over during a meeting during lunch or at the end of the day, could run clinical trials through that process as well and really be very intimately um, involved. Um, and it kind of, and it also sort of gave me the opportunity to be feel super connected to everyone that we worked with because it really is a family. And I do think sort of the greatest gift in life is enjoying the people you work with. What you did at that time is really like the dream, I feel like, for a lot of derms now. And you see many derms launching their own product lines, like being yeah. able to maintain their practice so they can, you know, um, be super close to the patient, which, you know seems to be, you know, their real passion, but then bring their expertise forward so that more people can take advantage of the expertise right through product. But in 2005, this wasn't like, you know, in vogue, like this wasn't what people <laughs> wanted to do. I mean, you must not have known a lot of other derms who were doing what you were doing. No, there wasn't that many. Um, I think I was just very lucky, sort of like right place, right time, right people. Um, and I think it became... It was really fun. It was challenging. Um, I love teaching, and it really gave me the opportunity to do that. And so it was, it kind of hit all the buttons of everything that sort of I had wanted to do and kind of didn't realize. So, um, why leave PCA behind? Well, my husband and I, after we'd been together for 13 years, um, finally decided to have our first child. The company was in 72 countries, more than 15,000 offices. And um, like many people that are a little bit older when they're having kids, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it takes multiple pregnancies and, and it was um, more challenging. And then I think it was also at the time, I probably, like, honestly, I probably truly was burnt out. Like I sometimes like to say I took a candle, I burnt it at both ends and took a blowtorch in the middle. And I was, I had an amazing team around me, right? Like I had amazing people help me with the family side. And I used to say I had my right hand, my left hand, and then, you know, I had somebody growing out of my back as well. And that made it all possible. And then I realized I kind of wanted to spend a little bit more time with my kids and with my husband and sort of taking a little step back from things. And we found a partner that seemed like the perfect partner that would really continue to believe in the brand, support it, support the science. Um, and that was the reason why it's sort of, at some point you realize that your child needs to go off to college and it's really hard to let them go. Uh, but there's an opportunity for them to grow in a whole nother way as well. Uh, that's a beautiful way of putting it. I started my own company because I wanted to be a mom the way I wanted to be a mom. I didn't know what that meant, 
but I, this is 17 years ago. So I looked around, I'm like, that's no, <laughs> no one's going to give me that opportunity. So I just made it for myself. Yeah. And I'm really grateful that I listened to myself. Yeah. Cause it's, but it's, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. It is. I like to say finding the balance between motherhood, friendship, partner, all the elements in life and are taking care of ourselves. And I think that's the thing that I've really learned over the last decade is how to do that in a thoughtful way. It's like a sinus sort of curve, you know, or a teeter totter. It's never perfectly balanced. It, you know, sometimes you're better at some things, sometimes you're better at others. You can have it all, but maybe not all at the same time. And and that it's sort of a, there's a little bit of give and take and you do have to rely on people and you have to really trust the people around you as well as trusting yourself. And that's how like the idea of sort of, there's an idea of the good enough mother. And that was the thing that I had to realize, like I needed to be good enough across multiple fields rather than, I think when I was younger, I strove for perfection and that's not healthy and I would not recommend that to anyone. Um, I think we can keep striving to improve and be lifelong learners, but Perfection is a figment of our imagination. It doesn't really exist. Dr. Linder, I am a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> and I agree. I actually say that the word perf perfect shouldn't even be a word. Like, it's, why is it even in our vocabulary? It is so, you know, I think I believe in unicorns more than I believe in perfection. Very true. But, you know, I, I suffered for a long time. It's painful. Like, it's, it's painful to, like, to feel like you're striving for perfection because you can never meet it, right? There's mm -hmm. always something you can do better. And then it's like, and then I found it was not good for my mental health. And that was one of the reasons why it was good for me to take a pause. And, um, and sort of, I feel like that's the reason for doing this second skincare company is it's an opportunity to sort of take everything I've learned over my 50 years and do it in a better way and a way that's beneficial for me. It's beneficial for the clinicians we work with and just try to keep improving. I was with a, talking to a friend who um, is an entrepreneur many times over and she recently sold her business and I was asking her, you know, what she's doing now. And she was like literally glowing, talking about a new business that she's, you know, starting. And I asked her um, if it feels different this time around and then she glowed even more. So tell me how it feels different this time around. So it's, it's more fun, right? It's sort of, there's also this thing about like when you've, Starting from a fresh slate, you get to decide exactly what it is that you want to do. And for me, it came down to, I feel like I, you know, in the exam room, it's about connecting, listening, having empathy and figuring out what somebody needs. And I feel like now I understand at the same time as being open to keep listening, like what do the clinicians need that I work with? How can I make their lives better by producing peels that don't have all the problems that we used to deal with? Like, they hadn't been updated in almost 100 years. What do you do around clinical home care to also make it easier so that you can educate in an easier way with the patient that you can just sort of have. So it just gave me a chance to like start fresh without all the baggage. It's kind of like, you know, when you over time, you like let go of stuff. Like it's, it's that same thing of letting go of perfection. It's like, okay, like let's just do this in a way that makes sense and also having the people around me that I really love the people I work with every day are phenomenal women and men that inspire me on a daily basis and that's what makes it more fun it's also more nimble and it's um there's not as much pressure the second time and there's also the saying like once you've seen Paris you've seen Paris like 
like once you've seen something and done it, you're like, oh, it, it's doable. And I think that's the reason, like exactly like, you know, podcasts and shows like this is that you can see other people do things. And I'm just like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. So those are kind of the reasons why I guess. Well, this idea of um, perfectionism, I think that the torture, at least that I felt, was uh, my ideas of what was perfect was really about meeting other people's needs. It wasn't about my definition, right? It was like hoping that they'd like it. So I would imagine this second um, initiative of yours, maybe you care less about what other people think. Is that possible? It is because it's one, I do believe that with a product line, having knowing exactly your niche and exactly what you're trying to solve rather than trying to be something for everybody is important. And it needs to really personally align in the deepest way. Like I think that's everybody on my team. It's all about alignment from the top down, how we develop, how we market. It's about integrity, all those kind of things. And so knowing that that's what it's about rather than necessarily trying to solve every trend, every, you know, every different piece. And so it, it does come back to like, okay, what's, what's important to me and my team. So it isn't about solving everybody else. Cause then everybody has a different definition of perfection, right? And it's just leads you running around like a hamster on a crazy wheel. Let's go back to um, your goals at the beginning of your career. You get out of medical school, you you start, you know, you develop your own practice in dermatology. If if I could have asked you this question that year and said, what is your, what is your big goal in this career of yours? What would you have said? I think at that point in time, when I was first out, it was about creating a practice that really had impact on my community and then combined with the opportunity to teach and educate. Like I've always loved to be on the podium and educate in that way, whether or not it was around education, around surgery, and then with time, obviously, cosmeceuticals and ingredients really became sort of my niche. So I think that was an opportunity to teach um, and really having impact on the community that sort of the, that sort of where that purpose piece comes in. That's really interesting to me because you did it. <laughs> like, right, you had an opportunity through of course, your individual patients, but on a much larger scale PCA to educate like large communities, right, of um, SDs and their clients and participate in clinical studies and, you know, everything that came with it. Do you think you would have known then that you would accomplish all those goals? Like, were you confident? I was confident. I mean, I guess I was a pretty confident kid that I believed in myself. I was lucky that my parents really inspired me that way. I mentioned my partner I've been together since my first year of med school. And he always, I always knew he had my back, that he believed in me. And I think that always makes a difference when you have people around you who do. And, you know, even back then, dermatology was, has always been, you know, a challenging field to get into. He's like, go for it. You're, you're great at this. It like totally connects with you. And, and sometimes just having somebody, you know, one person be your cheerleader, it can make all the difference in the world. I love that. Well, okay, my last question for this interview portion of the show, you know, with um, PCA, you took a step back because you really wanted to focus on other avenues of your life. Um, as you build out Linder Health, how have you, um, I guess, reconstructed what work looks like to make sure you can maintain what you started? So great question. And I think because this Linder Health came out of COVID. Like it was, it truly was my COVID baby and interacting with old friends who I worked with previously. And we were all, 
really obsessed with longevity, senescent cells, how do we think long-term and do things better? And just even from our own health, wellness, like sort of how do we combine all these different things? And it really just came out of like, you know, drinking wine over Zoom. Um, and so as a result, we've all learned how to kind of function in a online world. So my team is remote. Um, my, my current practice that I'm sitting in now is actually on the ground floor of my house in San Francisco. And this is where I see patients and I can do, um, smaller trials and things here as well. And so then, you know, when my kids come home at the end of the day, they're here and my, you know, my kids see me literally playing with chemistry and, um, and doing all these things and interacting with the teams. And I think that's also good for, I have three daughters and I think it's good for girls to witness their moms and their parents just as much as important their dads too to be interactive to, to do that and it's the same thing for my team so we created this way of interacting with each other and being remote we still do a lot of off-sites together um, so that we can actually spend face-to-face -face time and look at each other in the eyes and and have that um, but that's that's how we do it it's sort of there's happily some good things that that came out of COVID and I think that's learning how we can do this remotely and it's it's also inspired me to educate through this medium and that's something I'm getting com more comfortable with too because this wasn't a thing back when um, I was you know really in it full time it was you know we went to lots and lots of meetings and and so it's learning to educate this way and so that's what makes it possible and just being kinder to myself having compassion and empathy makes it a lot easier to be connected with both my team and my family. Um, before we close out this interview portion of the show, I want to give a shout out to Lisa G on your team because she's who connected us and she's been a friend to me for quite some time. So I'm glad that we got to do this together today. She's an amazing CEO. I love having her um, on my team. We have phenomenal women all working together at the, at the core. So this wraps our interview segment of the show. Thank you to Dr. Jennifer Linder for your wise answers. So we know that education is very important to you around skincare, and we also um, want to make sure that we can have a little fun as we educate ourselves. So we do have a speed round of fun skincare questions. Some of these are actually my questions, um, and okay, from, some from the team. You can answer with one-word answers. You can answer... Um, you know, with, with some length if you want, but, um, I know hyperpigmentation is a really important topic for you. And maybe I will be able to say the word hyperpigmentation <laughs> without you some point. But, um, yeah, let's try for like either one to 10 word responses. Okay. okay. And then we can always dive mm -hmm. deeper later. Um, offline. Okay. What is your quick and easy defi definition for what is hyperpigmentation? It, you can think about it as areas on the skin that are darker than the remaining skin, whether or not it is a patch or a little spot that's not related to being a mole. Does blue light increase hyperpigmentation? It can in certain situations, particularly really, really bad melasma, but it would take a lot. Yeah, I don't think your computer is probably enough to do it. Okay, so can sleeping with makeup on impact hyperpigmentation? Not that I'm aware of, except for the fact that it's not really healthy for your skin overall. Do LED light face masks help or hurt hyperpigmentation? Well, they can benefit inflammation. And so in that sense, inflammation does have a role in hyperpigmentation, especially with post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation or with melasma. So it can have some benefit. 
Which color light? Probably red in the end would have the most benefit because it has the most effect on inflammation. Okay. Can anything actually get rid of hyperpigmentation? Yes, absolutely. Wait, tell me the answer. What is actually going to get rid of hyperpigmentation? Okay. So, of course, it depends on what it is. Is it post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation? So, after you have a scar and it gets red and then it turns brown. Is it melasma? Is it from long-term sum damage? In the end, the things that work the best are peels done serially, religious use of sunscreen. Like, pigmentation is your thing. Do not leave your house without sunscreen on. Doing... Um, of course, ingredients and how those ingredients are put together in a product to make a difference. So things like kojic acid, TXA, hydroquinone, which is the prescription one. I'm not a gigantic fan of it. I think we've moved, we've moved on from it. But there's lots and lots of different things out there that can make a difference. Now I can segue to sunscreen. So okay. are sunscreen ingredients safe? Yes. I feel hands down, absolutely believe sunscreen is safe. Does protective clothing work as well as sunscreen? Yes, but again, the way the easiest way to look at protective clothing to see how much benefit it has, if you hold up that piece of clothing to the light, that kind of gives you an idea. Like a white t-shirt, a lot of light comes through, not going to do much. Denim is like an SPF of 2,000 or something. So that's a quick, easy way to do it. Some products, of course, are actually um, chemical ingredients that are planted into products. There's some washes you can do, and those can have even more of an effect. But my kids all wear the, as myself, wear the long sleeve rash guards on top of bathing suits when we're outside. I was really, really curious about the, the LED lights because there's so many different lights, different colors, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's really hard to understand if those would help or hurt. There is definitely a big difference in quality, right? Like random product bought off of Amazon is very different than what you're going to see in a clinical practice that's medical grade, how long you use it, how consistent we are with it. It's, I think, sort of some cutting edge science, and but things can absolutely make a difference. But it has to be done with the right product in the right place. And usually, honestly, if, and if you're really going after, and if it's about hyperpigmentation, you really need to be doing it in concert with other things like peels and, and home care. Like that's, especially melasma is almost a lifelong thing, right? It's going to come and go. You can have treated it, make it go away, and you get three, to, you know, a couple hours out in the sun where you've not been careful and it can just come back on. Hot yoga for some people is the worst thing they could possibly do. So figuring out what your triggers are as well is also critical. Awesome. Thank you for playing our hyperpigmentation Q&A. Now we have fan questions. So the first fan question, this is such a good one. Um, okay. Is expired sunscreen better than no sunscreen at all? I would say yes. Because absolutely, because it's sort of, you know, you know that uh, to your time frame that's put on sunscreen is that you know it's absolutely has an absolute SPF number that's on there. And if it's project or not, but yes. Expired is better than nothing, in my opinion. Of course, you know, the FDA is going to say, no, go get more. But, you know, be reasonable. Common sense. Here's a great question. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go up into space now? So I think the ways it's currently available, I'm not going to be a first adopter in this thing because I do have three children that I'm responsible for. I think motherhood changes those things a little bit too. But in a few years when it's like proven to be safer. I mean, airline travel used to be very dangerous and now there hasn't been a major 
um, issue in the you know the longest time with commercial airlines, and so I think we'll get that way with space, and then I would absolutely love to. There's thing, there's something called the the overview, this experience that astronauts describe when they see the Earth, and like you see the totality of it. That kind of like I do believe kind of in a oneness of connection, mm-hmm. and I think that is probably one of the most awe inspiring things that people have ever talked about. So yes, I'd love to go. What advice do you have for time management and managing stress? This is a good question. It's an amazing question. So alarms on my on my phone, phenomenal. Google Calendar, literally every one of my kids has their own color that we share. Um, there's probably, I probably have 10 different calendars, right? And then like to, to turn them on and off. Um, I set days that I do kind of specific things. Days were about reading and deep diving. Days that are kind of for calendaring um and that kind of helps to make it better having a phenomenal team around me makes it um being able to both delegate and trust other people makes everything else kind of possible as well i am such a fan of the calendar i'm if it's not on my calendar it doesn't exist basically yeah, totally agree. Mm-hmm. so even if it's just to remind myself to do something i put it on the calendar mm-hmm. um i can always move it i might not do it that moment but and then sometimes my calendar will just like, you know, freak out and like delete something and then I'm like really stuck. But like for sure I live and breathe by my calendar. The other thing I do is I make sure that everybody knows that it's – I try to control the response time that people expect. So people in my life know that email is not the best way to communicate with me. If you need something – you know, texting is a better way, but don't expect me to respond immediately. It might be the next day. It might be several days later. And so I think, unfortunately, in this day and age, I think people have gotten where it's like, it has to be immediate response Mm -hmm. or else. And that is what it actually kind of attaches us to a leash to our electronics. And so, which I think is bad because then you're not necessarily present with the people that you're with. And so, I mean, I'll also, you know, set responses out to be like, you know, I'm going to be not very responsive for the next two weeks or whatever it may be so that I can be more focused on what is important. Because there's that whole idea of urgent versus important. And we often get kind of messed up and prioritize the urgent versus the important. And I was the classic person who did this all the time. And I'm still working really hard to get that balance back into place. Thank you for revealing that. I actually was just working with my coach and I had my own business for 17 years and he asked me like, could I have gotten to this place that I'm at right now faster? And I told him, yeah, I totally could have done it faster, but then I wouldn't have been doing the other things that are the reason why I started my own business. Right. So like, what am, what am I in a rush for? <laughs> you know, right. um, I yeah. mean, only because people around us, you know, the other ambitious people that I, I surround myself with, they might be in a rush, but doesn't mean I need to be in a rush. I think that's the most, I mean, that is, hits the nail on the head completely, right? Because that is about you deciding what is success to you. And mm-hmm. like you said, the reason you started the business was to be the kind of mom you wanted to be. And so being hyper aware of that, and you got to sort of, keep that in your thought process It's sort of, um, and that's why, you know, money isn't the best way to define what success is. 
I'll leave you one one last thought. Um, I used to do a lot of running races and, you know, the whistle or whatever would go off and like everybody would just blast off. Right. And I'd be like, wait, I'm not moving as fast as they are. Am I supposed to be moving as fast as they are? But I'm like, well, no, that's not how, that's not how I run. But I had to like really talk to myself through it. Right. Like, no, I don't have to go faster just because they're going faster. They're going faster for whatever reason. And I'm just going to go. Um, and I feel like that's how I've been running my business. I'm just, you know, this is this is the way my legs are moving. This is the what I'm what I want to be doing, the way I want to be doing it. And then, yeah, I get to the finish line. And some of those people who blasted off are, you know, walking behind me because they, you know, used all their energy at the start. And some people, you know, have paced me times three or four. And that's awesome. But that's a picture I keep in my head. Like, I don't have to just blast off just because everybody else is. Those are the absolute wisest words, like ever. It's 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 absolute truth. Sort of, why are we letting somebody else set the pace for us? We are our own person. We nobody knows us better than we do. And how do we enjoy the journey? Like, if you're not enjoying the process, then like you hit the end point, and then like, is that is that it? So instead, it's like if you enjoy every day, then every day is something to celebrate. And I think that's also something that's like, what are the moments to celebrate at the end of each day? Dr. Linder, this is so incredible. Thank you for joining us. This is our 243rd episode. And thank you to our fans for listening in. If you'd like this episode, please rate and review. And as always, make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast platform and Instagram to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and all the fun we have along the way. Dr. Linder, thank you so much. Thank you to everybody for joining us. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.